Concealment. Concealed motives, concealed relationships, and even concealed knowledge. The theme of concealment has impacted nearly all of our favorite characters within Star Wars. Today, we examine the topic as it relates to the characters who have hidden things from others and the ones who have had to discover the truth for themselves. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we're talking all about the theme of concealment. Woohoo! This is another one of those episodes where I listen to my favorite Harry Potter and <laughs> the Sacred Text <laughs> podcast, and I hear them talk about the theme of concealment, and I'm like, Star Wars. Wars. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. It's like when you first – it's funny because um, when you pitched this idea to me, it kind of reminded me of my first reaction to hearing the name Skytalkers because I don't know – we've talked about it before, but Charlotte actually came up with the name Skytalkers. And when we first heard it, we were both like, hmm, like we weren't <laughs> sure. And the more we sat with it, we are like, yes. And when you first said concealment, I was like – Okay. And then, and then the more I thought about it, I was like, no, yes. Yeah. It works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It works so well. <laughs> works really well. <laughs> and yeah. I'm excited to talk about it. I think there's yeah, a too. lot of good, good, good nuggets within the Star Wars galaxy with with the theme of concealment. Yeah, I feel like it's really been a like a little bit since I've sat down at the microphone, which is weird. I, I don't know. I do you feel like it's been a long time, Caitlin? Well, I was looking so I so in case anyone cares, I bullet journal and I have this like little um page that's just for the podcast where I like have handwritten all of our dates that we record or release episodes. And it does feel like a while because like now we're just back on our like regular bi-weekly schedule, whereas for the mm-hmm. first part of the year we were doing resistance and celebration and like the Vanity Fair and the trailer and all of those were like not extra episodes, but just outside of our normal schedule. So we were recording so much more at the beginning of the year. And now this is just quote unquote normal. <laughs> I don't know if I like it. I don't like I normal. <laughs> it does feel like a while. I'm like, I think June just has two episodes in it. What? So weird. I'm just I'm so I think, strange. I think April had literally like six or seven. <laughs> it's funny. We say this, but like we can do whatever we want. <laughs> Like we can yeah, we can post as many episodes as we want. So I know. we're really in control about this. I know. We're like, that's the schedule, but we make the schedule. <laughs> we make the schedule. I mean, the, the the skeletal framework of the schedule is every other Saturday, but things happen. Want. Yeah, things happen. Things come up. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. But it, I mentioned this because I feel like a couple things have come out recently. Like all this stuff with Jedi Fallen Order, which I'm actually really intrigued by and I cannot I don't game at all, but I can't wait to watch the You don't game the, at all. I don't game. She's no a, gaming. She's got no game. I got zero game. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really excited to watch the playthrough and to see like what comes out of that because mm-hmm. I, it's so interesting that Sagarera is in it, which mm-hmm. is fascinating and it's early saw, so always, always cool to revisit that character. And I'm, I love the little droid. Like I'm dying over that oh, little droid. <laughs> I think everyone is like, "What this droid?" Everyone's like immediately in love with him. <laughs> I don't think that if even if you're not that excited about the game, I think that everyone's like, "Wow, this droid." <laughs> oh, I know. Like Charlotte, I too do not game, but I'm really excited about the droid. He's really cute. <laughs> 
Yeah. And then yesterday we got our Celebration 2020 oh. announcement. Oh, boy. Which, like, <laughs> really set my blood pressure straight right? through the roof. It was... <laughs> I saw the notification come through and I swear my heart started racing. I was like, it's time. (laughs) My time has come already. (laughs) My number's been called. Star Wars, why won't you let me rest? (laughs) (laughs) Just let me live. (laughs) Yeah, it's just so we're going. We're definitely going to go August 2020. I think it's interesting that it's in August. Caitlin and I's first celebration was actually in August 2010, which is like... Your Could first celebration be? was August too. Yeah, I said ours. Oh, I thought you said Caitlin's first celebration. No, I said Caitlin and I. So I was like, I just me there. It's so that would be like our ten year anniversary of going to the celebration. I just realized. <gasps> okay, that's really cute. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's also the fi- someone mentioned that it's the fifteenth anniversary of Revenge of the Sith. So I kind of hope that there's a lot of Revenge oh, of the Sith yeah. love. You know, I know that it's Empire, but. Like, come on, let's have Front of French of the South. Well, I mean, if anything, they'll have those posters, those like banners with the Mustafar battle. <laughs> they always do. <laughs> they bring them out every year. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, when they have the like giant halls where you wait for things, they always have these posters, like banners. they're massive yeah. banners on, on the ceiling. But they've had the same one since 2005. I, they, I think I've seen look, them in, in marketing videos. They look like they were all made in 2004 and they get like rolled up and put in a little like a little like a giant poster tube and then they just get like brought back out (laughs) that's the only thing they've ever been used for lucasfilm has no budget to make new ones they're they're just like let's just bring it out add some decorative vibes yeah yeah they're like (laughs) it's like at our podcast stage when i was like i brought streamers I was like, I don't know what we're going to do with them, but I'm bringing them. And every year someone's like, should we bring those posters, those banners? And they're like, I don't know. Just bring them in case we need them. And then they're like, well, they're here. Let's hang them up. That's what they're for. They're in the secret storage container that they have outside of San Francisco somewhere that they sometimes mm-hmm. show on the Star Wars show. Yeah, but I bet they're just kept like right at the front of the <laughs> of the warehouse. Like they don't Easy they don't, in, easy out. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't actually have like an accession number or anything like that. They're just there. <laughs> Yeah, they're for sure going to be there. And yeah, like, yeah. it would just be really funny if they, like, slapped a sticker on them that was, like, happy 15th anniversary. <laughs> and that was it. Maybe this time. We we couldn't expect Natalie for the 20th anniversary of Phantom Menace, but maybe we can expect her for the 15th anniversary ever. I don't know. I'm not getting my hopes up again. I know. I think I can go like, through that again. Yeah, yeah, the other day I was, like, thinking to myself, I thought, huh, remember how the Phantom Menace panel had no presence? The end of it. Yeah, that was really sad. And then they gave away the poster like two weeks later at the Disney store. And it was like, oh, there they were. Were they late? Did they arrive late? Was everything impacted by that freaking snowstorm? Everything was. I don't know. I'm like, why don't you, why won't you just tell us? Just tell us. Like, George was supposed to be here, but he got held up with snow. That's true. I really wish that they said that. They got held up by snow. Like, we all saw the snowstorm. It's not like, we would be like, oh, you liars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Oh, how disappointing. At least he sent a video. Like, something like that, I think, would have been fine. Yeah. Because then George could have played it. Like, that video would have been so much less awkward because he could have been like, well, I'm here at the airport with no way home. <laughs> Even if they lied to us about that, I think that would have been fine. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I'm just like, I don't know. That's funny. 
everything was I'm, a little I feel like off. I'm a little greedy. I feel a little greedy asking right? for that. But it's just, it's strange though, because they hyped up that panel so much and every other major panel had a thing. Even all the animation panels had a thing. Um, I don't think it was outside the realm of expectation to think that there would be a thing at the Phantom Menace panel. <laughs> um, I think it's funny. <laughs> But we'll anyway. definitely be there. I'm really excited to go to Anaheim. Yes. We both didn't go to like what was essentially everyone says their favorite celebration. Maybe. It's Celebration Anaheim a couple years ago. We missed out. Yeah. So, but now, now this will be the best one because I think Chicago was amazing oh, and yeah. I feel like it can only get better. And it will also be celebrating Ben Solo's redemption. It'll just be great. <laughs> <laughs> We comment. That was, that was really confident. <laughs> I'm like nervous for you being yeah. confident. I, know, I mean, same. I'm not confident too, obviously, all the time. I have no doubts whatsoever. Um, so yeah, celebration, uh, Anaheim. But Charlotte's actually going to be in Anaheim next week. Yeah, the funny story about this is that my mom actually is the best mom ever and su- surprised me with a trip to Galaxy's Edge for my birthday, which is in a week and a half. And I'm going to be on a plane when all of this Star Wars celebration tickets and hotels go on sale. And you guys know I'm the Rom of the Rom and Ryan situation. (laughs) So it's like, it's a little bit like, oh my God, Caitlin has to do it all. (laughs) I'm just kind of really enjoying her panic. Not going to lie. No, you're not. Caitlin, you're not going to enjoy this next week when I'm like. I'm not. I'm not. Um, well, we'll no, have with, like with, crummy. Ho- I'll have crummy plane Wi-Fi because I will buy it, and <laughs> and I'll be like, "What's the deal? What's the situation?" She's gonna be texting me like all day. Yes. <laughs> I was gonna, already considering making like an itemized list of what I think you need to do. She's already. I mean, you've already texted me like, "This is what I'm thinking. This is what we should do when this comes up. Do this if if tickets are." <laughs> Here's how you prioritize the tickets over the hotel. Here's what we're going to do. Like, yep. <laughs> it's going to work out. I mean, people people got rooms like at the last minute before they came. Like, we're, we're going to be okay. Everyone, you are going to be okay. <laughs> I agree. I'm excited because I'm not only excited to go to Galaxy's Edge next week, but I'm also kind of excited to kind of scoop out the location, knowing that we're going to be there next year. I know this is like such a the planner in me is like, ooh, I'm excited to see the proximity. <laughs> I'm gonna scope it out. <laughs> My mom's gonna be like, what? Gonna like canvas <laughs> the convention <Yeah>. area. <laughs> That's literally what Charlotte's gonna she's gonna be like. But I need to like I, I need to have I the bear. My ride the Falcon again, but I really do need to go see which hotel is closest. <laughs> We just need to do like a walkthrough. <laughs> Which bar is superior? You know, where exactly will the food trucks go? <laughs> <laughs> True. It's really funny. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited. I really wish Caitlin was able to come with me to Galaxy's Edge, but we'll go. We'll go to the one in Orlando. We'll go. Oh yeah, it's gonna be really fun. And I've ar- I already was you. like, Caitlin, send me your your wish list of merch. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's hilarious is that I'm actually planning a trip to Six Flags over Georgia next weekend, too. And Charlotte and I were like, I'm going to be in Six Flags and Charlotte's going to be in Galaxy's Edge. Like, really no competition there. <laughs> and I was like, send me your merch list, Charlotte. 
<laughs> you want like some giant Looney Tune stuffed animal? <laughs> That's it. That's what I want. Number one. <laughs> I think it's going to be so fun. I'm really excited for you. I mean, best birthday present. Yeah. My mom really like pulled through on that one. Yeah. Like, your so mom much. is the MVP of like uh, a lot of our key Star Wars experiences. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that it was, it's, it was really, she really took the hint that I just will not shut up about this. So. <laughs> She's like, all right, please, quiet. Yeah, but she's also really excited herself. She's a big Parks fan as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys Um, are going to have a great time. Yeah, Um, so I'll – next episode or maybe the episode after that, we'll talk about it. I'll give my experience. Don't worry, guys. I'll give my experience of Six Flags. Good. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Did you get a holocron? (laughs) I got a carrot for like Bugs Money or something. (laughs) What's it like when you put Bugs Bunny and Tweety Bird next to each other? (laughs) Do they talk about balance? <laughs> they talk about Elmer Fudd, and that's it. Oh my God, Elmer Fudd is the Snoke of Looney Tunes. So true. Except, <laughs> except Elmer Fudd like doesn't die. That well, I mean, he could. He could. He could. He could. I'm like trying. Like everyone to be- lives forever in Looney Tunes. Why are we at the Looney Tunes pod suddenly? I don't know. Stop I'm, I'm talking like, about this. The thing, the thing, that's like the crazy thing about like animation, just in general, is the way that these cartoons just like permeate your subconscious. Because I don't, I can't remember the last time I watched Looney Tunes, and I didn't even watch Looney Tunes as a kid. But I'm like, well, there's The Martian, there's Roadrunner, there's Bugs Bunny, there's Daffy Duck, da- mm-hmm. yeah, Daffy Duck, there's Tweety Bird. I'm like. The Elmer Fudd. The what's the pig's name? Is it just pig? Porky? Porky. I'm like, is it just pig? <laughs> I'm like, why do I know all of these characters? Yeah, I know. It's weird. It's it's kind of like Star Wars in that way, where yeah. it's always a part of you. I feel like you're your culture subconscious. Okay, so anyway, we're going to be talking all about concealment today. So why don't we just dive into it? So in part one, we're going to be talking about the definition and kind of defining the term. In part two, we're going to be talking about concealment and the dark side. In part three, we're going to be talking about masks. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? So welcome to part one. Um, Here we're going to be defining concealment and thinking about it kind of broadly. So I wanted to start off, I was reading last night, (laughs) I actually sat down to write these show notes last night, and then I opened up a new making of book that I got. It's not new. I've read it before, but maybe 10 years ago, um, about uh, longer than that. Oh my gosh, like 13, 14 years ago. um, The Making of Revenge of the Sith book, which is amazing. It's by J.W. Rinsler, if you guys haven't checked it out, and you're into making of books. It's a masterclass, and it really goes day to day but of like what they were doing and the complications and some of the quotes even from the actors and what they were struggling with and super interesting but there was this quote at the very end of it that kind of summed up why I really like to do episodes on themes and why I feel like Caitlin and I kind of gravitate towards those and why it's important to discuss themes within Star Wars and themes that are not just the theme of hope, which is, you know, the, the overall overarching theme of Star Wars, but smaller themes as well. So here's this quote from George Lucas, and I'm not the best at reading quotes, so just bear with me. 
The Star Wars saga is like a symphony, which has recurring themes. You have one theme orchestrated in a particular way in place, which then comes back orchestrated as a minor theme somewhere else. There are these little threads running through things that are constantly turning events on their heads. You see two people confronting the same things with different ends. It's a rhythm. I like the idea of seeing something from different perspectives. An advantage I have in this particular situation is that I have literally 12 hours to tell a story. As the epic quality of following a person from the time he's nine years old to the time he dies. It's Anakin's story, but obviously there are many other characters in that story. His children, his best friend, and their stories carry through. So this isn't just a time, it's a symphony. When you do it as a symphony, I think it actually becomes beautiful. What did you think about that quote? I just want to get it tattooed like on my body <laughs> so I can easily refer to it at any time. <laughs> I've never heard this quote before until you send it to me. And I think – I feel like we're always talking about, you know, if you want to – as like fans of the prequels of the second trilogy um, – if you want to appreciate them more, like if you have a bit of a struggle with them, which I think is understandable, um, I think you have to understand George Lucas more. And George Lucas has always talked about the influence of like sound and orchestration in how he views these films. And the fact that he like really put it here so explicitly and pretty in depth, I think is just, I'm just like, yes, give me more. (laughs) Um, And I, I like how he talks about how it's, you know, like, yes, it's Anakin's story, but there are other like players here and the good thing about having this long range, this long form storytelling as we get with Star Wars is we get to stay with these families and generations and see how they influence each other and where one character's story ends, another picks up, but there's all this overlap. And I think that's evident in just the longevity of Star Wars for why we respond to it so much is because we can pick on these, pick up on these little threads that are constantly being picked up in, in other areas and in other stories and in other mediums too i just it's really good it's so good i think that yeah you hit the nail on the head that last line where it talks about there are many other characters in the story his children his best friend and their stories carry through i think that that's so that that's just a fascinating way to even look at the sequel trilogy because obviously it's a continuation of anakin's story and, you know, his children and the repercussions of that deed that he did in Revenge of the Sith, it just continues to have this ripple effect all the way down to, you know, his extended family, essentially. Mm-hmm. And people like Ray are now involved in this, you know, saga. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like, too, that right after that where he says, so this isn't just a time, it's a symphony. And it, it actually reminds me – that line right there reminds me a lot of um, Ray's theme. And I remember mm-hmm. hearing David Collins talk about it. And you have just that one kind of opening line, you know, that we all know as Ray's theme. But as you follow through the complete orchestration of that piece, it has all of these different threads which have a lot of like darkness and tragedy kind of woven into how it sounds. But it starts off on this really hopeful – like really bright sound and it kind of flows through all these different tones um, Mm -hmm. because she is a complex person. But then, you know, when you think about that, like in regards to the whole saga, you know, we start out at the beginning, it's really hopeful with Anakin as a child, but things kind of digress and change and, and the story is influenced by these different instruments and different threads and characters and events. It's really great. So good. (laughs) Love George. So good. Same. <laughs> that, that's that's the thing about this book. I again, I just want to recommend it because there's a lot of really good George quotes, and mm-hmm. I I really just 
I don't know. There's a lot of good parts where he refines certain lines that we know so well. So a really interesting thing about this book, maybe we'll do a whole episode on this book because it was just so good, was they, they were talking about George was, you know, workshopping with Hayden and Ewan the final scene with Obi-Wan and Anakin as Anakin is, you know, the immolation scene essentially where Anakin's burning and Obi-Wan in the movie, he says, you know, I loved you. You're my brother, Anakin. We, we all know that line so well. But the line at one point was, I loved you, but I will not help you from Obi-Wan as he's like looking at Anakin. And George wanted Ewan to continuously say, I will not, I will not, I will not, as he watched Anakin burn and like walked away. And then George also wanted him to say, I loved you. Like after that. And I'm just like, to me, when I read this, I got goosebumps because I was, I can't, I feel like that, how they did it was extremely powerful in its way. But to me now, this is how I think about the scene. And I I feel like I will be forever changed by understanding that that's what George wanted at one point was Obi-Wan looking at Anakin and basically holding himself back from helping him. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, holding himself back from killing him. Yes. Because um, that's what Yoda wanted him to do. Yeah. So th- that that line, I will not, I will not, kind of has two separate, like, kind of has a little bit. Well, yeah. I don't know, two separate meanings if well, in your as, head. Yeah. And as the audience, you're like, what does he mean? Like, I won't help him or I won't kill him. Like, what, yeah. what are we doing here? Um, God, that would have been so good. <laughs> yeah. I know. You said that to me. I was like, whoa. I mean, I think the line is great the way it is, and I get the sense of emotion that I needed and everything, but the fact that that was in the script at one point, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> that would have been even more heartbreaking. I think you can read that in Ewan's performance, though, honestly, that that conflict that I think would have also been expressed through saying, I will not, I will not. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty clear in his performance. But yeah, it's – yeah, we might have to do a – a whole episode, episode on it. it yeah, yeah, the stuff you were saying to me last <laughs> night. Um, and I think it was our, our friend Nat who posted it as well. Yeah, um, that's what Twitter. that's what dropped my memory about it. I actually remember very clearly, if I can just share this story, in 2006 or 2005, going to Tatooine Traders in Hollywood Studios in Orlando and seeing that book. And it was the first time I ever saw that book. And it was like $50. It was a really expensive book at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was the only thing I wanted – and I, do you remember when I got that? I think you were with me, Caitlin. Mm, and no. I was like looking at it. I just, I, I spent, I was in Disney World and I was like just excited to, you know, sit in line and read this book. And so I have it. I just decided to reorder it because it's somewhere in storage and I needed to read it. <laughs> when our friend Nat posted about it, I was like, oh my God, I miss I that book so much. <laughs> Immediately ordering. <laughs> she messaged me. She was like, look, Nat was posting about this book and now I have it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you, Nat. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, no, I, I don't think I don't think I was with you, but uh, ah, tattooing traders, good place, good, good place. very good place, very good place. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if we were to define concealment as the theme of our episode, this is what Merriam-Webster says: the first definition is to prevent dis- disclosure or recognition, and the second is to place out of sight. And then the definition from dictionary.com of just the word conceal is to hide, withdraw, or remove from observation, cover, or keep from sight, 
and it also is defined by to keep secret, to prevent or avoid disclosing or divulging, which I feel like that's kind of the definition I think of most when I think of concealment in regards to Star Wars. What about you? Agreed. Agreed. I think to hide also comes into play with people like Anakin and Padme, and we'll talk about that. But yeah. I think – but perhaps to keep secret is a more defined version of mm-hmm. of that. Well, I think – I mean, it's interesting because when you kind of pick apart this theme and start really looking at all the things that have been kept hidden or concealed or kept secret from characters, um, these things that are concealed are kind of the crux for pushing our plot forward in a lot of ways and determining a lot of our characters' motivations, mm-hmm. which I think is true for a lot of stories, obviously. Um, but I think it's really fascinating kind of in relation to that quote from George about being able to see it over this kind of breadth of time within Star Wars. Because, um, I mean, even like we mentioned in the prologue, you know, concealed motives, people like Palpatine, concealed relationships, Anakin and Padme, concealed knowledge, um, Obi-Wan about Vader, Luke about Ben, um, Han and Leia concealing knowledge about Vader to Ben. I mean, like all of these things are really prevalent for all of our generations and the things that were hidden have really significant ramifications for the next generation, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So what's the first thing that you thought of when you heard this word in conjunction to Star Wars? I think, honestly, I thought about Obi-Wan and Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the – I was thinking about it on the way home from work today, actually, too. I think that's – that that, parti- that particular example of concealment is, I think, really well done when you watch Star Wars in chronological order or in – yeah, in chronological order, because when you get to episode four and you hear Obi-Wan say, you know, if, you know, Darth Vader betrayed and murdered your father. And as the audience, you know that he's concealing part of the truth. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, wait a second, Obi-Wan. Like, oh, <laughs> sorry. Um, and you know that he's concealing that. Whereas if you watch it, you know, original trilogy, second trilogy, it's it doesn't quite play the same way. Um which is kind of what we see in the sequel trilogy with Luke, right? It's like we know – we didn't know exactly what he was conce- – or even that he was concealing a part of the story. But we were kind of clued into that, you know, when Ben is like, oh, did he tell you? No. Did he tell <laughs> no. you what happened? Yeah. No, <laughs> Sometimes I really love that delivery of <laughs> Adam Driver because I, I – it's kind of casual and kind of glib where the way he's like, yeah, yeah. did he tell you what happened? <laughs> And, and then he's like, like no. Yes, he told me everything I need to know. And he's like, no, he didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's a good, really good yeah, piece but of I, acting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think when I think of concealment, I really – the thing that comes to mind first is the Obi-Wan and Luke dynamic. And I, I like how that reveal can – changes its impact depending on the order that you watch the films – yeah. It's interesting because I think you took a very literal stance with the way we talk about concealment. Um, and the first thing when I hear concealment, I, I think of Frozen and the song Let It Go and the line <laughs> conceal, conceal don't, feel. don't feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that to me speaks so much to like repressed emotions. Mm-hmm. And I think that obviously – when you speak about repressed emotions in Star Wars, you you immediately think of the Jedi and how they're forced to kind of 
you know, have compassion. Yes, literally, conceal, don't feel. Um, You're supposed to have compassion, but you're not supposed to fall in love. And like all all of these things are just like pushing down all of these emotions. And then you kind of blow up when you're Anakin Skywalker and you cannot physically, you know, conceal those emotions. Um, And obviously, I think that's done in that, you know, in the amazing movie Frozen really well with Elsa, you know, coming into her own with her powers. I think that there's a link of concealing emotions rather than concealing information that is pretty important in Star Wars in terms of, like you said, progressing the plot along, but also in terms of like understanding character emotions. Concealing emotions isn't the healthiest way to deal with anything. And I think that you see that often, especially in the tragedy of the Skywalker family, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially with Anakin too. Yeah. A lot of the emo- like a lot of the emotions that he's feeling throughout Attack of the Clones specifically, he feels like he can't share with Obi Wan, the person mm-hmm. who he should have been sharing that with, um, and he keeps a lot of that hidden, and it boils up in a lot of extreme and dangerous ways. I also think about Padme when she confronts Anakin in Revenge of the Sith and says, you know, do you think that the very thing we've been fighting is whatever? I never get this line right (laughs) every time I talk about it. But when they're on the couch and she's talking about, you know, are the separatists right, essentially, is what she's saying. Mm -hmm. And um, then Anakin kind of blows up and is like, don't say that. Like, you're sounding like like a separatist. And here she is in that moment kind of revealing her emotions but Anakin says don't even say that like you can't even that's like treasonous like you shouldn't say that Mm -hmm. treasonous in a way like treacherous in the way that like she can't say that in even in that their relationship that is at that time pretty volatile yeah I think that's really interesting point to bring up um because Anakin like the only place that he can really keep his emotions unconcealed is with Padme and so all of that it's always going to be you know that emotion is always going to be turned up a couple notches because the only place he can really feel like he can express his true emotions is with her and so there's no other outlet for him mm-hmm. to express frustration or doubt um, or fear or anger or anything like that because the Jedi tell you not to do that um, and Padme is that only place. So she takes the brunt of that. Yeah. And then within that relationship, if you have to, this is the, where, where it breaks down in Revenge of the Sith really is when you have to conceal those emotions within that concealment of the relationship. And that is just dangerous. It's like you mm-hmm. have these layers of if your safe, safe place with your partner isn't your safe place anymore, then what happens? Mm-hmm. And if you have no one else that you can confide in Mm -hmm. um then it's just it's just a recipe for disaster which it's supposed to be (laughs) (laughs) exactly and then obviously anakin runs to confide in palpatine who is not the right person to confide in huh it's funny how that is (laughs) (laughs) almost almost like it was wait for it orchestrated (laughs) that was a good one um (laughs) i think we should die oh sorry go ahead I was just going to say, I think Revenge of the Sith is like the best place to look at concealment. So yeah, we should dive into part two. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, welcome to part two where I'm just going to pick up right where I left off. Um, I think Revenge of the Sith is the best place to look at concealment because it's it's the boiling point for Anakin's story because all of these things that have been concealed and repressed, everything is finally coming to light. Um, mm-hmm. I mean – 
the fact that the Jedi are trying to have Anakin secretly spy on Palpatine. Palpatine knows they're doing it. Palpatine is, of course, concealed as Dark Lord of the Sith. Anakin and Padme's relationship is concealed. Her pregnancy was concealed. His turn to the dark side was concealed. Like, everything is concealed. Everything <laughs> <laughs> is concealed. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's kind of and, – and having all of those major plot points at once – all come together and kind of explode in the most destructive and tragic way. Mm-hmm. Even the clone, even the clone army was concealed. Yeah, <laughs> it's all concealed. I, I haven't even thought about them. <laughs> What's interesting is that it's it. The theme of concealment is a fascinating one to look at, just based off of if you look at the the tenets of the light and the tenets of the dark side. If the dark side is really all about exuding passion and raw and darker emotions and like i mean the allure of the dark side is like you can be your full self even though that's a lie that's all a lie Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day i think you're still concealing so i i don't know it's it's just an interesting thing where i think anakin thought of the dark side as an out to get away from this concealment but in the end he he literally becomes physically concealed like his entire personhood is kind of taken away and he's mm-hmm. put under the mask which we'll talk about later and there really is no escape he you know starts his journey as a slave and he continues to be a slave it's fascinating really if he wanted to really truly be his full self and he did not find the right pathway to do that that's something we talk a lot about a lot in regards to Ben Solo about yes. like the idea of identity and concealing who you really are. And I mean, with Anakin, I think that the Jedi Order is such an interesting place to look at this theme because um, minor spoilers for Dooku Jedi Lost. If you haven't, I was going to say if you haven't read it, but if you haven't listened to it, um, the Jedi Temple has this entire secret basement full of like dark side artifacts that they keep under lock and key and they literally keep hidden beneath Mm -hmm. the floors of the Jedi temple. And a big part of that audio drama was discussing and kind of alluding to the fact that the, the Jedi concealed and kept all of this knowledge hidden and locked away and ignored it. And it's part of why they couldn't see the, the dark Lord of the Sith Palpatine that has been the, the wolf that's been in sheep's clothing the whole time. Mm-hmm. Is because they actively kept this knowledge down, and one of Kastana, one of the Jedi who's really for studying the dark side and these dark side art- artifacts and the ancient Jedi ways and everything like that, she's the one wanting to bring all of that back up to like bring it literally to the surface of the Jedi Temple, and the Jedi are like, no, 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 <laughs> keep keep that away, <laughs> mm-hmm. conceal that away, and that's part of their undoing are these secrets that they keep. Um, which again is interesting because what we find out about the ancient Jedi in Dooku Jedi Lost is that they, I don't have it pulled up, but they have this whole mantra that they used to say every single day about living in the light, acknowledging the dark, walking with both, and kind of recognizing all, keeping, basically keeping nothing hidden mm-hmm. in order to be the best version of yourself, mm-hmm. which we don't see anyone doing <laughs> it's really fascinating because it's like it's almost like the complete undoing of the skywalkers in like every single i don't know facet of their failures is the mm-hmm. fact that they keep things hidden 
Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like, even you see this, and I think it will even become even more clear in The Rise of Skywalker about what was hidden about um, Ben Ben Solo's whole life and his family and, you know, Anakin returning to the light. All of this was kept from him. It was even kept that he, his grandfather was Vader. So it's like, on what terms did he discover that? And even the separation between Ben and and Luke, I feel like was not fully discussed. Like what did Luke tell Leia about that whole thing? Like, I don't know if the whole truth was even, even given out. That's something that Keelan and I kind of speculate on a little bit Um, in our past, some past recordings. It's like, what, what was that conversation even like? Um, Was the full truth there? Like, what is the truth? And even just like, the big shocker of maybe all of film history and film (laughs) in general is, you know, Vader revealing to Luke that he is his father. And I feel like that was even concealed from Anakin. That was concealed from Luke. All of these things push, I don't know, all these truths that you should be able to deal with. They push people even further to the dark side by keeping things hidden. Mm -hmm. It's bizarre. Yeah, and when you look at – when you take it back, so, I mean, if we take it back to, like, the ancient Jedi and how what we learned in Dooku, Jedi lost, you know, them kind of keeping nothing hidden in order to be their best selves. And then that knowledge and that um, routine was lost and and hidden – literally hidden away within the Jedi Order to the point where it was forgotten and that – um, inevitably pushed the Jedi closer to the dark side and to their undoing. Mm-hmm. It pushed Anakin to follow the dark side, the concealment of his relationship and of Padme and her pregnancy and his emotions and his feelings and all feeling like he couldn't have an outlet to express any of that. And then it all – it was like th- – this has always been my question with Obi-Wan, you know, of why he didn't tell Luke. Like what was he thinking in that moment when he didn't tell Luke about, you know, who Vader was and where he came from and the fact that Obi-Wan and, and Yoda went through this whole thing in the prequel trilogy and you think that Yoda has this this foresight or this um, 2020 to recognize what happened back then and where he made mistakes and had his own shortcomings, but he still wants – Luke to kill Vader, his father, mm-hmm. without telling him. And for a, such a big impact as that had on Luke, for him then to repeat the same mistake with both Ben and Ray, I think importantly with Ben, I think his mistake with his concealment of knowledge from Ray is a different story or a different issue. But to keep that from Ben, it's it's so fascinating because those are those are the big motivations and, you know, Luke, after he finds out about Vader is when he starts making some of his most rash decisions, but also some of his best decisions. Like once he finally figured out the truth and once An- once Anakin found out the truth of who Luke was or like right. that Luke still had compassion for him, that's when Anakin, when Vader did the right thing. and Yeah, able to make the choices with the informed knowledge that they have. Yeah. And I thought of I – was, I was thinking about it too with um, – our animated series as well. You know, Kaz keeping the truth from Tam, Nico, and Tora about his his work as a resistant spy had disastrous <laughs> impacts at the end of the season. Absolutely. And then when you contrast that 
to a show like Rebels where we have this really connected and small family unit where nothing is hidden, that like that issue of trust was never really a problem for our characters in Rebels. Um, there weren't a lot of things – I mean, I'm trying to think back like where there – Of course, I haven't watched all through Rebels in a really long time, so there may be some plot points that I'm missing here. But a lot of their, like, character – what's the word I'm looking for? When they had conflicts with each other were on, like, morals and decision-making and, like, what path – yeah, like what path should we take? It wasn't. It wasn't about like, oh, well, you hid this from me. It's, it wasn't ever like. Uh, I guess I'm trying to. Uh, when Ezra had the holocron, um, mm-hmm. the Sith holocron, that was something he kept from Kanan for a bit. Yes. But that wasn't like a breaking point for their mm-hmm. whole relationship. You know what I mean? And it wasn't ever like Sabine kept the dark saber hidden, and you know, like that wasn't ever an issue. And they were much. They had other conflicts, but I feel like trust wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I think I think it's a good comparison um, between those these two like groups and within our animated world. Yeah, I think that's really smart too because often I think that this idea of like someone has a secret and they're holding it over you can get sort of tropey mm-hmm. and in a in a negative sense. Where I think even the sequel trilogy has really done a like and one of the best examples I think of you know, someone has a secret and you're it's probably gonna go the way you think, but it actually doesn't, is Finn not being part of the resistance. Mm, yeah. And he totally owns up to that. And that was something that he concealed from Ray. But when he leaves, he owns up to it. And it doesn't it, it the best thing about that scene is that Ray is upset and she should be upset that he's leaving, but he, she's not upset that he ran away or that he mm-hmm. lied about that. Which yeah. But instead, here, Finn is basically expressing his true feelings, which at that point are, I got to get out of here because this is the only thing I know how to do, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that that's a really – that could have turned into Ray being mad at Finn for lying. And it just gives me hope. Like, that sort of situation gives me hope for whatever secret – because Ray has quite a few secrets now. Whatever secrets come to the surface in The Rise mm. of Skywalker about her relationship with Kylo – what that's going to look like because I don't think that they will fall into the same trap of, you know, the trap of tropes essentially of, you know, something is concealed and then you're the character's mad about it and they can be rightfully mad about it. But as long as it doesn't take up your entire plot, which yeah. often it does in, you know, sitcoms and anything, but really in a lot of things, um, then I think that that's more fresh and a more modern take on storytelling. Yeah, that's. I think that's a really interesting point when we think of Rise of Skywalker and the secrets that Rey has, um, because I know we we speculated about this before in our Vanity Fair or trailer analysis about um, the Resistance all knowing that Kylo and Rey are training together, uh, and that that could we could actually see that complete redemptive turn or partial redemptive turn or something, but like they know that Rey is working with Kylo and they know pretty early on what happened on the supremacy. That would be a lot different story, like you said, kind of a more modern take on the secret that Ray has if she holds it in for the whole movie and then like right at the end it comes out and everyone is mad at her. <laughs> and then it's yeah. like, oh, Kylo does this hero move and then everyone's like, okay, I guess it's not that bad. Um, that would kind of be – that would be a bit more tropey. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like we don't have time for that. Like, exactly. <laughs> we, we, don't have time, we don't have time for that and I don't want to see that because yeah, I want to see training. 
<laughs> exactly. And I think that it's interesting. And, and just, just to continue to talk about the rise of Skywalker a little bit, I think we can talk about that at the same time we talk about like the true master of concealment, which who is Darth Sidious Palpatine. Um, he is the Phantom Menace, which I think we have to mention the term the Phantom Menace when we talk about concealment because mm-hmm. <laughs> the saga literally starts with kind of alluding to something being hidden the phantom mm-hmm. menace and sidious is you know someone who's laid dormant essentially until the right time to strike Ugh. it's so creepy it's and so it ha- creepy. it happened in revenge of the sith it happened in return of the jedi and it's going to happen again in the rise of skywalker which is so interesting <laughs> but i think it's just it's i think it's like prudent to discuss the obviously Sidious, the term Sidious comes from Insidious, which is like a gradual way of revealing something about something or like revealing someone's deeds. And that's exactly what Palpatine does. And he is truly the master of concealment in the darkest way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's also he's he also remains concealed throughout most of Rebels too until he finally makes an appearance absolutely and and, and even that appearance the, the second time we see him at the end with ezra and ezra's parents where he conceals his true form um and he presents himself as this kindly senator and then you see the hologram oh my god just thinking about it i get chills <laughs> i can't i can't I'm so excited for Disney Plus to be a thing so I can just rewatch Rebels all the time. Me too. I'm really excited for it. Um, what I – kind of going back though a little bit to when you were talking about Finn and, and Ray's response to Finn's lie, I think this is um, – one, it's a testament to, to Ray's character as a person and her ability to trust and forgive people and her compassion. But also like Finn's concealment um, didn't – impact Rey in the same way that Obi-Wan and Yoda's concealment impacted Luke. Um, I think the connection the connection is different, obviously, because that's Vader's father or that's Luke's father that they want him to kill. They want Luke to kill. Whereas Finn's concealment of Rey, it, it really like the the impact of that concealment is really um, harboring more on Finn himself rather mm-hmm. than Rey. Um, mm-hmm. Because there, there's like that separation there because it's not like the first order is coming after Ray because of Finn. Mm-hmm. They're coming after Ray because of the droid, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. like I mean, they're all everyone's coming after Ray, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's not specifically because of the way in which Finn lied. Mm-hmm. But I do think that's like I, I do think that's an interesting concealment of Finn of that pressure. That pressure is like so isolated to just Finn and his emotions like with Rose and, and finding out that he was a, a storm, pi- storm pilot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that he was a stormtrooper, and you know, that he wasn't actually this hero that she thought he was at the start of the last Jedi. Anyway. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I'm routinely fascinated by the 
the the concealment and miscommunications between our generations because that's really where we see this happening. And I think that's why I latch on so why we both do to the Ray and Kylo relationship, not even like the Raylo relationship, but the Ray and Kylo relationship because they're from the same generation and they haven't concealed things from each other. Mm-hmm. And that is making all the difference because our major plot points have been a product of secrets within right. these generations, keeping things from younger generations for whatever reason. Um, but Ray and Kylo, they break this norm. They break this pattern just by the fact that they're major players in the same generation, which is kind of strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that's – they. I mean, what they haven't hidden anything from each other. Well, they can't because they're – yeah, they they're both connected. have a shared soul at this point, and they kind of, uh, when their hands touched, they saw everything about each and every one of them. Their past and their future. Exactly. It's just, it's interesting because I think the sequel trilogy, and maybe this is a, this is potentially a hang up for some people, but it's told from the point of view of Ray. And if we the audience take the the form of Ray and seeing things through Ray's eyes, we're learning about all these different things that were kept hidden as well. And because of that, so much is still concealed to us, the audience of certain motivations and the, the big players, like even truly the resistance motivation and truly the first order's motivation. All of these things are, still kind of hidden to us because I think we see things through Ray's eyes, at least in like the text of the films. And I I do think that all of that will, and maybe this is me being optimistic, but I do think that once we have the rise of Skywalker, I think that the curtain will kind of be pulled back on understanding the sequel trilogy as a whole in the same way that that happened for Return of the Jedi that happened with Revenge of the Sith, like all of these things, this final piece really does help put things into perspective. And in almost a meta sense, everything won't be concealed to us anymore. You know what I mean? It's it's very it's very bizarre because I think that if you think about, you, obviously you think about concealment in terms of the story, but you're also so many so much of Star Wars is so hidden that like will it really truly all be revealed by the rise of Skywalker? And I think that for the successful movie, it has to be. It's all, it's bizarre, right? All I want in life is for Dave Filoni's World Between World sketch to be unblurred. <laughs> will that Please. be unblurred with the rise of Skywalker? <laughs> That's what I really want to know. Yeah, I think that is um, something that a lot of people critique about the sequel trilogy is that we are dealing so much with the repercussions of the actions of our legacy characters, but we're still missing a lot of the motivations behind why they did what they did, mm-hmm. um, particularly like with the fall of Ben Solo and, and why they kept there. I mean, I know we, we read about it in Bloodline and stuff like that, but, you know, the specifics around the rise of the First Order and the rise of the Resistance itself and and – where Snoke came from, how did he manipulate and influence Kylo? Uh, what exactly was Kylo and Luke's dynamic like when they were training together? I mean, we learned in the last Jedi novelization that Luke didn't even want to restart the Jedi Order, but he did when they kind of had some um, doubts about Kylo's uh, like dark side and light side loyalties. So all these things that we kind of know tangentially but don't know specifically and – you're right. It's because we're with Ray for the most part, and we're kind of learning it as she's learning it. Um, so hopefully, when when the truth does come out, everything 
everything from production to actual storytelling will be revealed. Yeah, I just think that it's it's kind of interesting to think about it in a meta sense because yeah. it's true. Yeah. <laughs> By the final piece, you just really hope that it all is well, illuminated. It's, it's funny. It's like it, it's like um, it reminds me of everyone the discourse around whether or not the sequel trilogy was planned or not, and all of us. I feel like you and I and and a lot of other people that we know too um, were like, of course it was planned. Like you had these big beats that were planned. It was like this is point A, this is point B. These are set in stone. How we get there is a bit amorphous and, and can be changed. Just like George Lucas rewriting certain lines on exactly. set. Exactly. Yeah. And everyone was like, all the, you know, like people, for example, people who hate The Last Shed are like, they never planned anything. Like, Ryan Johnson just came and did whatever he wanted. He was like, writing while they were all there. Hello, that happens in every movie. Like, that's not <laughs> – that's, that's not true. There, And then, you know, and then that – was it some interview – was it in Vanity Fair? Yeah. When Adam was like, I've known where Kylo is going from the beginning. <laughs> I know what the end <laughs> of his story is. a couple is. times at this point. Yeah. I think that he – almost might feel a little bit of frustration about that sort of question where he's like yeah to understand my character the best because obviously when you talk about your character and you've been talking about them for three separate movies you want to be like yeah I've known this like this is (laughs) I've been working towards this it's a accomplishment for me in three movies to work towards this and hopefully you see that but you know as an actor I can imagine like so let's assume that of course it's I mean you and I think it is but let's assume that you know it's a hundred percent that Kylo is redeemed and this is something that Adam has known from the very beginning and so he's been playing that into his character and into his portrayal of Kylo Ren and then to see all these people on Twitter be like or on the internet be like well, he's definitely all bad side now. Adam's like, did I not tell you sympathy? <laughs> I'm sure Adam doesn't read anything. I know, but I know right? But that idea, it's funny you know, and Adam's like, that. Yeah. on my knees at the end of The Last Jedi looking really sad. <laughs> did you guys see that? <laughs> I – I could have cried. It was it was a personal choice not to, but I could have. <laughs> Did I not sell you sympathy? <laughs> I hope he says that at some point after Last uh, Rise of Skywalker comes out and be like, probably won't. He'll be so soft spoken. He'll be like, oh, yeah, you will. Thank you great. so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah. yeah what yeah. a joy to play that character. So fun. It was, it was really great to you know see him all the way through. Yeah. From beginning to I end. I missed the lightsaber, I gotta be honest. You yeah. know, stuff like that. What, what <laughs> That's it, what we're gonna it, get. <laughs> what did it take from the set? Um, you know, off the lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> the die. Oh, what were the dice to get? No. No, I didn't take those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so look forward to that. <laughs> Um, I did find um, – I pulled up the quote from Dooku Jedi Lost that the ancient Jedi used to talk about. I just think it's a great quote, so I'm going to read it for you all. Um, so the ancient Jedi used to say this every day. It was like it was like their prayer every day. Um, and it goes, we call upon the three, light, dark, balance, true. One is no greater than the other. Together they unite, restore, center, and renew – we walk into the light, acknowledge the dark, and find balance within ourselves, for the force is strong. Whew, y'all. I can't hear that one enough, I'm going to be honest. Oh, Each right? time, and we, we have a, if you guys are interested in that, we actually do have a discussion of the audio drama on our Patreon. 
But oh my god, I I literally can't hear that enough. <laughs> I know. So well, I mean, the big takeaway though from that is you know walk into the light, acknowledge the dark. Nothing is hidden in that space because it can't be in order to like be the best version of yourself. You have to walk with your own shadow. Um, mm-hmm. You can't not. <laughs> and for so many of our characters, that's what they're doing. And even in Luke not telling Ray the truth of what happened with Ben Solo, he's keeping hidden that shame. And mm-hmm. that shame that he had for what he did with Ben cost him Ray's trust in him. Just like, you know, the action cost him Ben (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, you know, possibly the galaxy. (laughs) So one of – I really – I think Luke is – I'm so excited to go back and do like a big Luke character study once The Rise of Skywalker comes out. I am too. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think (laughs) that after our discussion in the Vanity Vanity Fair episode and my brain just keeps like – I don't. I basically racing at the Luke that we're gonna see in the Rise of Skywalker, and mm-hmm. I can't wait to do it like a dissection, like you said. Luke has such a pivotal role as this like fulcrum in both Anakin and Ben's life, and I find it so incredibly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited to see it once it's all once the story is complete. But the fact that Luke was kept this huge truth about his heritage. And then he went and did the same thing to his own nephew, I think is crazy. And the fact, too, that Luke was able to show compassion for his father, knowing all of the horrible things that Vader had done throughout his life, and he still chose to love his father and and show that love to him and compassion to him. And then with Ben, he just had immediate and all-encompassing love that comes with being a part of a family and, and loving like your nephew and, and your sister's son and your best friend's son. And then he still showed him that compassion and that forgiveness at the end of The Last Jedi of being like, I know what you've done and I still think you can come back from this and I still love you and I'm sorry and like finally getting to that point. Anyway, like Luke's role in the middle of this story I think is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, but him and Obi-Wan – both become unreliable narrators for their, like basically their apprentices and the stories that they're telling our heroes. And I found this quote, this is from um, Wikipedia. Um, it's by, I, I'll pull the author in a second. Um, but it talks about what an unreliable narrator is, which I think a lot of us are pretty familiar with the term. But um, an unre- he writes, an unreliable narrator, however, is not simply a narrator who does not tell the truth. What fictional narrator ever tells the literal truth? Mm-hmm. Rather, an unreliable narrator is one who tells lies, conceals information, misjudges with respect to the narrative audience, in which case – the narrative audience for Luke would be Ray. That is, one whose statements are untrue, not by the standards of the real world or in the authorial audience, which would be us, but by the standards of his own narrative audience. In other words, all fictional narrators are false and that they're imitations, but some are imitations who tell truth and some are imitations of people who lie. Um, really, I think the important part is up at the beginning um, that you know every character on some former level is lying to you and not telling you the whole story because you're only seeing a piece of their perspective and of their life within a story and memories lie to you. Um, But an unreliable narrator is one who routinely lies and conceals truth and 
misjudges the narrative audience of Ray. And so Luke misjudged what Ray could or could not handle and kind of assumed for her what would be the best thing for her to hear. And it came back to bite him because Kylo talked to Ray and he was like, yeah, that's not true. (laughs) And then, you know. Did you try to murder him? (laughs) (laughs) And this, this, this whole thing with Luke too goes back to that incredible line um, in the last Jedi, you know, it was a Jedi who, who trained and created Darth Vader. Cause that's not how Luke would, I think, talk about Obi-Wan in Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. I think that verbiage only came around after what happened with Ben at the temple. And it's not not so much Luke saying that about Obi-Wan, but rather saying that about himself. And it just – oh, it's going to be so – I'm really excited. Look forward to that episode, 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was slightly nervous – when you put this in the show notes about unreliable narrators, just because I think it is such a, in the same way lying about things in like film and TV is a trope. So is discussing unreliable narrators, at least in the literature sense, because like the quote says, everyone is essentially an unreliable narrator. Like what is truth and what is capital T truth? And I think that you made a good thing about what you discussed is the difference between uh, um, viewing the story and thinking that the whole thing is a lie because of the person that's telling it, which I think is often the definition that people think of immediately when they think about unreliable narrators. But instead, you made the distinction in that it, the the per, the storyteller, who in this case was Luke, is telling someone what they think they need to hear, which is in some sort of sense of a concealment of the full truth. Mm-hmm. It's what, yeah, it's what she needs to hear and what he needs to tell her for his own sake as well. Yeah, and that's Obi Wan as well to mm-hmm. Luke, and it maybe even more so than Luke to Ray. Um, so I, I'm I'm just glad that you made that distinction. And I had to mention it just because it is so kind of in a weird way like hotly debated in the English literature community. <laughs> yeah, it's like unreliable narrators I feel like get talked about a lot more with actual literature and when I was reading about them um there's like the whole breakdown of the different types of unreliable narrators right. <laughs> um yeah. which I thought was was interesting cuz I I hadn't really delved into it too much before. Um I don't think it's as applicable in Star Wars because I think a lot of books that focus on unreliable narrators, it's completely told from the point of view of an unreliable narrator, um, whereas Star Wars, it's kind of these like pockets and moments mm-hmm. in time that then have ripple effects down the line. Um, but yeah, uh, the, that last part, you know, misjudges with respect to the narrative audience. Obi-Wan and Luke both did that. And the fact that Luke was on the receiving end and on the giving end of that type of narration, I just whew, blows my mind. And I can't, I can't wait to find out for it to be revealed. I also think that if, if we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Akira Kurosawa's, which uh, Ryan Johnson was like extremely um, influenced by the the movie Rashomon, which has three separate versions of. Well, in Rashomon, it's actually four separate versions of the same truth. Essentially, um, it kind of get the the story given to you over these four different pockets of memory. Something I mentioned to you recently, Caitlin, if you remember, Mm -hmm, is that Rashomon 
is has four different versions of essentially the truth or each person's own truth. In uh, The Last Jedi, we get three separate versions of the truth of Luke and Ben. To me, I'm like, if we really do, as Star Wars often does, pull from Kurosawa's own films, what is that fourth version of the truth? And to me, I feel like the story really there is not over yet. Mm-hmm. And and like that, <laughs> we will get some sort of more information there that I think could count as the fourth. Yeah, yeah. So it's like there, it's like a murder. You have four witnesses to a murder, and they all tell you a different story. But it's none of them are lying. Mm-hmm. It's just they all have different perspectives. And like you said, with Star Wars or with the Last Jedi, we had three versions of the same story. And what's the fourth? And when we were talking about it, and you were telling me more about it. I was like, I wonder if this has something to do with like our droids. You know, with our pay attention to C three PO. Yeah, for real. Um, and R two D two, who was there as well. Um, yeah. and R two D two. I mean, bring up concealed knowledge. R two D two freaking sat with a massive <laughs> Skywalker for the entirety of the last Jedi or for the Fourth Awakens, which so true. That concealment, I'm still a little miffed at, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, R two A. Oh my god, R two A. R two A. I wonder what else is uh being hidden away. Me too. Within within the depths of those those droids. So much to be concealed. Okay, so do we want to move on to part three, masks? Yes, let's do it. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Okay, welcome to part three, where we're talking all about masks. So, of course, we're going to be talking a bit about our fave villains, Vader and Kylo Ren. Mm. And uh, <laughs> yes, a <laughs> uh, very Skywalker themed episode, which is great. <laughs> most of our themed episodes, I know, are Skywalker. <laughs> I mean, what episode isn't Skywalker heavy outside from our Resistance episode? <laughs> You're right. fine because you know why charlotte it's the skywalker saga (laughs) true true i mean how can it not be about skywalker episode nine is called the rise of skywalker (laughs) but charlotte um when she was reading through more of the making of the revenge of the sith book um the other night pulled a lot of great quotes about anakin and i think that's they they talk about that a lot in that behind the scenes feature out of like this is the moment you know, of when the mask comes down and it's that amazing shot where you see Hayden's eyes just go wide and, you know, it's up to you as the audience to infer what you think he's feeling in that moment. And everyone was just – I think George and Hayden talked about like the entire set was like quiet when it happened yeah. like, when he came out in the suit for the first time. Um, and the, the mask is – the mask is a big deal. Right. I mean, you – have spe- wrote like a whole meta about masks and uh, yeah. <laughs> Kintsugi, which I will kind of cover a little bit in this episode. But um, yeah, of course, it's a huge deal. And you're so right. And I have this quote from The Revenge of the Sith making of. I also have a couple of other books that I'm going to cite or one other book. Um, but Hayden, this is Hayden on getting into the suit. It was something I've been looking forward to since I found out I got the part, hoping I get to don the dark helm. But most of all, I hope that my performance as Vader doesn't feel disjointed, that it has a linear connection, so that when people watch the original trilogy, they see my face under the mask. I hope it feels like one singular character. 
That's in the Revenge of the Sith making of. I, when I read this, I reflected a little bit upon whether or not I feel that way. And I, I think that I've, and I don't mean this negatively, but I've kind of forced myself to think about that. But when I was talking with Caitlin, when I was reading it, because obviously I sent all these quotes beforehand because I wanted to talk about them, um, I was like, I don't think I actually felt 100% that way until Star Wars Rebels in Twilight of the Apprentice. Mm-hmm. And I think that that episode did something so brilliant in the way that it blended not just the prequels in the original trilogy, but animated series in the original trilogy both animated series together like it was it's an astonishing episode for a lot of reasons but one of them i think is truly because when that mask is broken when anakin's when whoa, when vader's mask is broken and you see matt lanter's face matt lanter's anakin from the clone wars face under the mask just kind of simply cracking through and then you hear matt lanter's voice mixed with james earl jones's voice it's a little different obviously than hayden christensen thinking about you know saying that i hope he thinks about it all the way through but i think it really did help me consider and think about anakin as a singular character which I think is is pretty, it's, I don't know, it, I feel like at this point, it was just like a peek into the true self. And it really helped me, I don't know, have this sort of connection with the character all the way through, even though Anakin, probably before, you know, Kylo Ren came into my life was up there in my top two favorite characters. I don't know. What about you? Oh, yeah, I think, I mean, we watched Twilight of the Apprentice together. And yeah. I remember like we were in my guest room at my parents' house and when that happened, we were like, whoa, it was, it was a moment like it's, man, animation is so good. Um, Some of the like most shocking moments I think for me have come within these animated stories. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, it makes me kind of sad when I read that quote from Hayden because I know for me as a Star Wars fan, it was really hard to to see that connectivity. And I think that's, I mean, it's kind of like an impossible task um, because the idea that you would take someone like Vader, this character created, you know, in the 70s and 80s and then humanize him, but then kind of pack him away in this suit. I don't know. I, I think it's kind of an impossible task to have such a a fluid connectivity between the two because they are so diametrically opposed. And that's kind of the point. It's like, how did we get from A to B? But I think that that moment in Twilight of the Apprentice is like really was similar to you the first time that I was like, oh, that is him in there. Yeah. It's just like a reminder that it's not like when Anakin put on that suit, he automatically became, you know, the guy we see at the end of Return of the Jedi, Sebastian Mm -hmm. Shaw. Um, that there is a process and that he still looks like the Anakin that we all really loved <laughs> during that time as Vader, which is very chilling and, and tragic because Star Wars is tragedy. Yeah, I, th- I think that the ghost obviously helps, but – it just wasn't the yeah. same to me. I think that I really did force myself to in, – in my brain, I would consider if I thought about Anakin, I would always think about Hayden. And I think that, that that show really changed a lot for my understanding of, you know, it, it's one singular person. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of the – if we can get back on track about the terms of, like, the the concept of concealment, I think that 
it's important to even just kind of think about this because Anakin's true self, him, the the like sandy haired boy from Tatooine, was, and I mentioned this in the beginning, locked away in this suit that helped him live and was so imposing and so dark and Hayden refers to it as donning the dark helm and I think that it's really interesting because there's so much of like the emotions of someone who's not a robot that is is totally taken over by the suit and that's the I think the reason why it was so important to see that crack in that helmet was to see that crack in understanding that there's someone underneath there, that there's someone potentially, you know, there's someone inside who could be saved. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to in that moment as well, because that's something that that's a truth that is confirmed for Ahsoka in that moment because up until that point I think she's really trying to convince herself that that's not who she thinks it is Mm -hmm. and it's the hardest truth for her to accept like she knows it deep you know it's it's very similar to Ray you know Ray knows that her parents are nobodies but she's going to keep lying to herself because that's less painful than accepting the truth that people who she thought were supposed to love her and come back for her and be there for her never had that intention at all so she just keeps that locked away. The same is for Ahsoka. Once Ahsoka felt like – Ahsoka knew it at the start well, – I guess it was the start of season two of Rebels – that that was Anakin. But it's not until that moment um, on Malachor that it's it's real um, and she can't run away from that truth anymore. And she says, you know, I'll avenge his death. <laughs> yeah. and, and But then in that moment when she sees his face and hears his voice and, oh, my God, I think Ashley talked about the fact that she didn't know that Matt did that. And so when she heard it for the first time on TV, it was the first time hearing Matt's voice. And Dave talked about it too, about how they layered the voices so that the because she he says I think he says it once or twice and the first time it's predominantly James Earl Jones and the second time um, it's like a mixture of them like pretty equal and then the third time is predominantly Matt Lanner and you're like oh hmm, sad yeah. <laughs> uh, but she sees it and she can't run away from that truth anymore she can't that truth isn't hidden beneath his mask and it's not hidden like for her emotionally and and you know logically that that's who's there. I think it's important right now to kind of mention, and maybe this is not the moment to mention it, but I do think it's kind of important when you discuss masks to talk about this Rumi quote that um, is so great. It's, the wound is the place where the light enters you. And I think if you think about the Anakin's or Vader's mask cracking in Rebels, at that moment, we know that the fascinating thing about Star Wars is that you can go back, but you know that the moment of Anakin being saved doesn't happen until Luke enters the picture. And I think that even still, there's still that moment of, oh, there's someone behind the mask that that the light does in a way enter him. I think even that the way it's animated, um, the like the heat from the lightsaber kind of glows the edges of the mask mm-hmm. to be lit in, a, in kind of a, a creepy way. Um, but I mean, I think it's, I mean, just for another fun parallel, that's the same side of like Anakin's mask is cut in Twilight Apprentice in the same area that Kylo is scarred by Ray. <laughs> yeah. True. So. 
all about those parallels. And and that's the same eye that Anakin scars over as well. Mm-hmm. Just in, in Revenge of the Sith that yeah, George just added because he thought it looked cool. A lot of things happening there. Yeah. On so that, many things. It's a busy side of the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk about the end of Return of the Jedi where the mask is removed. removed. Finally. So you found this quote too that you want to read? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> super excited. Yeah. No, it's just it's. I have to admit that I just keep buying reference books at this point, even if they're super old. <laughs> so I recently bought an old book from 1999 that I think was part of the the Phantom Menace, like build you up. Know, it, yeah, the journey to, be, to the Phantom Menace. <laughs> basically, honestly, it was. It was, I think, a DK books, and it's pretty big. You probably had them when you were a kid. Those type of books. Um, and there's some really interesting things in there, and I'd really like to do an episode on it because it is fascinating. And it talks – it's called Star Wars Power of Myth. But it has some, like, allusions to the characters in The Phantom Menace. And some of the lines are – like, when they talk about Anakin and Padme, it's like, I wonder what happens next. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in the in the romance section, it's funny. Um, anyway, so there's this great uh, quote about when Luke removes the mask from Anakin's face. And here's the quote. The removal of Vader's mask is symbolic of his release from the dark side of the Force. Luke no longer fears his father and can now see him as a person. In his last moments before dying, Vader gazes lovingly at Luke with his own eyes, not those of his mask. He is turned back to the good and shows that in the end, he has a heart that can be opened by by love for his son. Luke now feels one with his father. I just feel like I really couldn't have said it better than what this book did about how the removal of the mask truly is symbolic of him being free from the dark side. And I think he obviously did that in actions, but also just having that human connection with his son. He's not concealed anymore. His son can now look upon him and he can look upon his son and understand that, you know, there's there's no barrier between them anymore. Which I think is like just uh, obviously one of the most magical moments in Star Wars is the scene. And I don't know. I think that at one point you have Vader as like this truly terrifying villain and someone who, you know, a character looks like a creature, like a robot man. Like you have no idea who who's underneath the mask, especially if you just watched the original trilogy and you have just seen Luke remove Vader's arm and it's, you know, just wires essentially um you have no idea so when you reveal who's behind the mask and it's a a, like an old man with super kind eyes it's i don't know i feel like everything is on the surface there's like at that point there's nothing to be concealed right it's jarring yeah in in like the best way though yeah yeah and that's part of the i mean that's part of the point um but that's something I think, you know, a lot of people who don't want redemption for Kylo or perhaps think – I don't know. They're like, well, you know, Vader was redeemed, so Kylo can't be. And, you know, there are too many similarities between them. But I think that's a really fascinating break in the story between Kylo and Vader is because Vader, we spent three films building up, you know, what is it behind the mask? You know, only for it to be revealed that it's just this old man at the very end. And that, I mean, if anything, your expectations were subverted then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But with Kylo, they got rid of that 
at the beginning because they're like, you, yeah, you've already seen that story before. You know that there is someone who has broken inside this mask. Like you've already seen that throughout the original trilogy and the second trilogy. You got that story. We're, that's where we're starting from now. Now the story is how do you completely take off the mask and like – save that person underneath it because i mean right in the beginning of the force awakens like we're not going to keep him hidden under the mask like we'll take that thing off right in the beginning um you know exactly who's under there you know exactly who needs saving Mm -hmm. and i yeah and i i think that that's i don't know i think that that's why for me that's why i think that the sequel trilogy works the way it does and not just being a repetition of vader's story because vader's story was all about it took three films for him to put on the mask and it took three films for him to take off the mask. And with Kylo, we already know that like there were – that Kylo had his own prequel trilogy. He had his own fall um, because we've seen that story before and we know the family that he comes from. So we can kind of infer that. And then, you know, we meet him at this crux of time of like now's the time for him to take off the mask you know, to to begin that redemption process, what is it that's going to be the thing that starts that for him? Um, and for Vader, it was Luke. And for Kylo, it was Rey. And then, you know, at the end, Kylo's going to make that choice for himself. But Rey was at the beginning of it. She's the one. You know, we always talk about that, how it's in The Force Awakens, he takes it off with Rey. It's not with another character. It's specifically with Rey that the mask comes off for the first time. And I think that's significant. Absolutely. Especially the fact that there was that scene with Snoke where he had it off and they put it back on. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah. Not yet. (laughs) The reveal doesn't come yet. Um, I I think that's, I don't know. I think that's a really important aspect of his character and where he, how he fits into this mythology and, you know, you've been talking about like modern takes on things like unreliable narrators and, um, and concealment, how it, how it can't, we don't want it to be super tropey. And I think that using the mask as a storytelling like plot device for Vader and Kylo does run the risk of being really similar and too similar. But I think once you break it down, they're actually quite different. Yeah. I think that the difference is that, the difference truly is is that Kylo's on like a reverse Anakin situation. So, mm-hmm. of course, everything is kind of in reverse in this kind of mixed up, messed up kind of way, yeah. which is just serves as a jarring way for us to recontextualize this redemption story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think that I, I'd like to read the quote that we talked about last night, Kaylin. Um just we can talk about it and get a little Raylo for like 10 minutes, if that's okay. Wait, which one? You'll know it when I say it. Okay. <laughs> so this is this was also in the Revenge of the Sith um, making of book, and George Lucas says it about basically the entire theme of Star Wars. He says, it really has to do with learning. Children teach you compassion. They teach you, They teach you to love unconditionally. Anakin can't be redeemed for all the pain and suffering he's caused. He doesn't right the wrongs. He stops the horror. In the end, the saga is simply Anakin saying, I care about this person, regardless of what it means to me. I will throw away everything that I have, everything that I grow, that I've grown to love, primarily the emperor, and throw away my life to save this person. And I'm doing it because he has faith in me. He loves me despite all the horrible things I've done. I broke his mother's heart and he still cares about me and I can't let that die. 
Anakin was the chosen one, and he does bring balance to the Force. He takes an ounce of good still left in him and destroys the Emperor out of compassion for his son. I love this quote. I tweeted it out. I think it could be my favorite, my new favorite George Lucas quote, because I think that it just really encapsulates to me what Star Wars is about. It's about an individual finding the love within himself. I'm just like astounded and wowed by it. But Caitlin and I were talking last night, and again, excuse the Raylo, even though I know you guys love it, Um, (laughs) is is, if you think about at the end of the saga is simply Anakin saying, and I'm quoting here, I care about this person regardless of what it means to me. I will throw away everything that I have, everything that I've grown to love, primarily the emperor, and throw away my life to save this person. And I'm doing it because he has faith in me. He loves me despite all the horrible things I've done. I broke his mother's heart, and he still cares about me, and I can't let that die. If you want to change the pronouns a little bit, I could honestly see this being the way that Kylo does something at the end to maybe save Ray, save save everyone, save I don't know, or Ray says it. I don't know. I can really see this this quote coming back just because it's it's a main theme. So I'm just going to change the pro- pronouns to be Kylo talking about Ray. I care about this person regardless of what it means to me. I will throw away, throw away everything I have, everything that I've grown to love, and throw away my life to save this person. And I'm doing it because she has faith in me. She loves me despite all the horrible things I've done. I broke her heart, but she still cares about me, and I can't let that die. Anyway, I'm for it. Sh- kind of shook for that. <laughs> <laughs> if everything goes the way I want it to in Rise of Skywalker. Goes 100% according to plan. <laughs> Yeah. I think that's I mean, I think that quote is one. I love it. I'm hundred percent with you. But when we, you know, start talking about the reverse Annie Dalla kind of parallel and then, you know, father or son and daughter from Mortis and, you know, resurrection and saving life. And I think that that quote gets starts to get really interesting mm-hmm. uh, when you start kind of putting talking about Ray and Kylo um, with that quote. So, I mean, I think you're right. Um, I think there has to be something sacrificial and I don't know. I think, I think even if Ray, like, like Daisy talks about in the Vanity Fair article, you know, Ray at at the beginning of the Rise of Skywalker is like, yeah, I don't know about Kylo anymore because of course she's upset. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, how could she not be? Uh, but I think that will come around and I'm really interested to see how that happens yeah. <laughs> specifically, whether it's something she sees Kylo doing or hears about or Palpatine, what Luke tells her, world between worlds is going on. I don't know. What is being concealed for her? What is being concealed for Kylo? What will we learn that will illuminate our understanding of our characters, specifically the Skywalker family? Things will change and and like what she comes to understand in her experience because she still has a whole movie to grow will change our understanding of how we look at things. And it's like my new favorite thing about all modern Star Wars is how it changes the way I look at literally everything in not a drastic sense and not in a negative way, but in a way that makes me appreciate the overall storytelling and the mythos behind everything. Mm-hmm. This is something I know we talk about all the time, and I can never remember the answer. But does everyone else know that Ben Solo became Kylo Ren? It's it's so it's not defined. Okay. I, I don't think I think that the movies can go either way. I, I think know. it's confusing because Poe said it's Kylo Ren when you saw 
been unmasked mm-hmm. on crate. So it's it's just really confusing because <laughs> I think if anyone would know, it might be Poe because he grew up in the resistance and yeah. grew up with Leia. I just I feel like I, I don't know. I have no idea, or if or if he was told that Ben died with the temple. Yeah, because that that's totally a thing that they could do. I think that they have like purposely kind of left that open. Yeah, depending depending on how things go. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're already kind of setting up with so much that is concealed, particularly with Rey and Kylo, mm-hmm. and what has happened to them in the Last Jedi. I mean, that's like, I mean, that's your whole favorite theory, right? Huck staging a coup, mm-hmm. and you know, Kylo's like. Yeah, Ray. Ray killed Snoke. <laughs> Snoke's Lied. like, I have video camera yeah. <laughs> evidence. <laughs> yep, literally yeah. the the progression is so many things going into Rise of Skywalker are like built on a lie, and so many things are being repressed, so many things are being concealed that like something will bubble up to the surface, mm-hmm. and it's really important to acknowledge that 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 this is such like a it's a good storytelling device to move things along yeah and speaking of concealment i think that this is a good point where we can start to speculate a little bit um about the rise of skywalker because you know caitlin has talked a lot about kintsugi and if you want to just like kind of go into that a little bit just to give like a little refresher so your Cliff Notes version, um, Kintsugi is a Japanese from like what the 16th century Japan. Basically, it's an art form, a way of mending ceramics. And the idea is that you mend the ceramics with, you know, this type of adhesive and then you illuminate the cracks with like gold or silver paint. And um, it became really popular during a time of war and uh, – it kind of it morphed into both an art form and this philosophy about recognizing the cracks in your own life and the hardships in your own life and how you take those hardships with you and they help you grow as a person and you shouldn't keep them hidden um, because you can't. No matter how like well you try to mend the ceramic, you're still going to see the cracks. So rather than continuing to hide it and try and make it invisible, which you could never actually do – you illuminate it and bring light to it and show how the whole ceramic is now in a way more beautiful and more interesting and more unique um, because it's had, because it's been broken before. Um, Mm -hmm. And so of course that applies. I mean, I think there are literal self-help books. I think there's one that actually came out very recently. Um, A listener sent us it and was like, not the physical (laughs) book, but that it, I think it might have just come out like two days ago. Yeah. Because we we looked into it. I think it's it's like Kintsugi, (laughs) self-help, but all about like kind of learning how to take the, the hard things you've gone through in life and um, take them with you because like you you shouldn't you shouldn't feel shame and the hard things you've gone through in life because they've made you who you are today and of course that's what we speculate a lot about with Kylo's helmet um, that we've seen for the rise of Skywalker having a lot of cracks on it um, really kind of emulating that art form of Kintsugi and I think this is really interesting because that was a question we had when we first kind of talked about it was okay like what's going on like it's good that the mask is being used in this form if it is kind of inspired by kintsugi which i think it is um will he keep the mask at the end will it be destroyed was it him that wanted it put back together i think these are a lot of questions that i'm really interested in the answer to but just the idea that the mask 
represents taking your hardships forward with you and um, growing from them. And I think that that's kind of the idea with concealment is to get rid of concealment and like what that ancient Jedi teaching was saying, you know. Yeah. Instead of covering up or like getting a new whole new mask, it's like, yeah, here are the outlines of where it was broken and I'm going to take those with me. Rather mm-hmm. than cover them up with something new, it's I'm covering them up so you can see them on the surface, and nothing my, my my past is not concealed at all. Except it kind of is because it's a mask, so it's a little complicated. Yeah, it's, well, it, it, you know that's what you were saying in that last quote by George. You know, Anakin can't be redeemed for all the pain and suffering he's caused. Mm-hmm. Kylo can't just forget can't about either. No. everything that he did in the past. Um, and then the quote that you read goes on further to say he doesn't write the rights, but he stops the horror. And that's exactly what we always talk about is that it's time to stop the cycle of these things repeating themselves. And for Kylo, part of that stopping is not just with his death, but of continuing his life to then be an example for others. And that goes back to our quote from Yoda in The Last Jedi, you know, failure is the greatest teacher of all. And the fact that Kylo could take all the things he's learned, both from his own life and his family and the compassion that Rey has given him, whether or not that ends up as romantic um, or not, and be able to help other people in the future I don't know. There's something really beautiful about that. Um, And the fact that he could be really open about the horrible things he's done and said, you know, like, I came back from it and things can get better. Mm -hmm. Things will get better. You are not defined by your worst deed. Um, You can be. That's a physical, physical, literal quote from a recent Star Wars book. I think Master and Apprentice. Yeah. People are not defined by their worst deed. Mm hmm. I just I think well here the the whole thing though is the conceit is all the promotional material we've got from the Rise of Skywalker so far shows Kylo without a mask. We haven't seen Kylo like physical Kylo with the Kintsugi'd mask at all. Oh, we've only yeah. seen the mask being constructed by hairy hands in the trailer. <laughs> But then in like, I think if it's not the shot before, then it's the shot after you see Kylo without the mask. So what's the truth? Like, does the mask even matter? Then? I know. Because like, then I'm like, oh, who else is someone else wearing the mask? Is there some sort of is like Hux donning the mask? Like, what is happening here? Yeah, I think there's so much up in the air. That's that's. I think that that's what's so weird is that I think that Kintsu- I'm I'm really I mean obviously you and I both are like it's Kintsugi. Um but if it's someone just pretending to be Kylo I think that kind of changes the whole meaning which I think it's it's a, like a really interesting and good theory to kind of spin out and speculate on. Um but I'm like what is if it isn't Kylo wearing it why would you have it look so similar to something like Kintsugi that I think is like a really good correlation and comparison. I don't. I don't know. That's. It's also. It's also a little c- complicated because even in if Galaxy's Edge in Disney is supposed to be canon, he's wearing not the Kintsugi'd mask, and this is supposed to take place between Rise of Skywalker and the Last Jedi. And it's like, what is happening here? I guess that. I guess the idea is that potentially this broken mask could be constructed in the rise of skywalker but where did he get this other mask and why are there two essentially and and why have we not seen him without with it at all and the only like sort of look that we've ever gotten into it is 
there's these foreign arms that are furry and gorilla-like. It's like, what is happening here? I don't know. I wonder if, wow, I, I wonder if maybe it's just like a production kind of thing and like a marketing thing for once we get closer to the rise of Skywalker and he actually does start wearing it around. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure that'll happen. I mean, I'm actually not sure. I don't know why I said I'm sure. I just, I think that examining if the mask is even going to be put on Ben Solo's face is <laughs> is actually a viable question. And it's not one that I would have thought like even two months ago with, with just speculating, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I I don't know. Maybe Maybe with the next trailer, we'll actually see it. Yeah, absolutely. The the, the, the next trailer like, will be, or like even in the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. You just never know. But I do think that there's something really interesting. Like what if, okay, so what if instead the mask was, because I, I really do love this idea of, you know, both of Ray and Kylo going back to their old ways, like Ray with her hairstyle and her staff and everything. It's like regression, essentially, in in the sense of emotional regression, rather than like any sort of storytelling version. Or in, I don't mean that in a negative sense is what I'm saying. Um, but I, I think that and then you have Kylo going back to his old ways essentially as well by turning back to the mask. And I feel like both of those in conjunction are really powerful and maybe you get it in the first scene, but then I don't know, maybe someone else takes the mask. Who knows? Hmm. Maybe Hux does. I would love to. I don't know. Try and put it on. (laughs) I know, right? It'll be so big for his head. It'll be so big for his head. It'll be like a bobblehead. Like a Funko Pop. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, what an exclusive. (laughs) I'd buy it. I don't even really buy Funko Pops, but I would buy that one. Yeah, so funny. And you could take the helmet on and off. (laughs) Well, it's just, I think that another, if we could go back to Kylo and the mask, I just thought about the quote of, you know, Han when he finally, when they're on this, like the, the bridge, and he's like, take off that mask you know i want to see my son and i think that at that point he can't hide anymore that he takes off the mask and he looks like such a young boy and -hmm. the way that he's lit there it just makes him look so like pouty faced almost like a child looking at his father han says han says such a parental thing too he's like we miss you you're like come home and then kyle is like your son is dead yeah your son is gone He was weak, yeah. like his father. Yeah. Man, I want to watch The Force Awakens. Yeah, me too. I might do that right after this. But it's just <laughs> it's just funny. To, not funny, but it's just he can't hide. I think he tries to hide, but he can't hide. He can't conceal that. And so much of, I think, Kylo's character is trying to conceal everything, but also grasping on to his legacy, which he wants to kind of bring to the surface. And he, he, he truly can't conceal his true self at all he's just he's a little dumb (laughs) (laughs) but i love him (laughs) so good just have that as the prologue kylo a little dumb (laughs) (laughs) yeah you wrote in the show notes you know things are out in the open and i think that's true it's like okay so if in all of these these uh promotional materials that we get with kylo like in vanity fair and of course i think it's important to Think about how 
in Vanity Fair, you have Annie Leibovitz, a photographer. I'm sure she doesn't necessarily want to photograph like a helmet on Adam Driver's head. I think that it's probably more engaging to photograph like a actual face. So that's something to obviously consider. But I do think that I don't know. I feel like by the mass not being 100% present, it's like things are truly out in the open. The emotions, he's wearing the emotions on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is hidden. And nothing is hidden between Ray and Kylo, and that is going yeah. to make all of the difference. Yeah. And also in a meta sense, like the Force isn't letting things be hidden at all. Like <laughs> the the cosmic force is literally like, no, like you guys need to see each other. Like let's bring bring you guys together. Mm, can't wait for what the Cosmic Force is going to do next. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, just like Revenge of the Sith where everything was revealed in that movie and had disastrous effects, everything is going to be revealed in this movie and have a happy ending. And that's really what I think we need to take away from this. <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, because that's like that quote that you read at the very beginning with George about how we see similar situations but to different ends. And I think obviously the big comparison there is between Anakin Padme on Mustafar and then Rey and Kylo on the Supremacy where they have very similar situations to different ends. But of course the difference is that was the end of Anakin and Padme's story, whereas that was just chapter two of Rant and Kylo's. And mm-hmm. so there's going to be – I'll be just interested to see what other kind of parallels to Revenge of the Sith there are with The Rise of Skywalker, honestly, and Return of the Jedi as the third movies. Um, but for me, I think that's – I think that's – talking about concealment, you know, everything is going to come out in the open just like it did in Return of the Jedi and just like it did in Revenge of the Sith. But – the difference is that our two main characters who can change everything, Ray and Kylo, they haven't they haven't concealed anything from each other. Um, they're of the same generation. They're both powerful instruments of the cosmic force. And for me, I think like even before I was a uh, before I shipped Raylo, it was like Ray and Kylo, they're going to change this story because they've never lied to each other and they're they're equals. And that's something we haven't really seen. Um, I think the closest thing we saw to that was Obi-Wan and Anakin, but even then you had that master-apprentice relationship, and that changes things. There's a different dynamic there. I just thought about something. The only thing that's really not out in the open for each of them, and perhaps more Kylo than for Rey, is their emotions for each other. And those... I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know either, but I don't think that we've... Because I, I guess we have the sort of marriage proposal at the end of The Last Jedi, but I do think it'll be something that is carried into The Rise of Skywalker as something that potentially he's trying to repress, she's trying to repress, she's trying to conceal it. And to me, it's like I, I get a sense that neither of them have talked about that. Yeah, but then at the same time, I mean, I, I mostly agree with you, but there's that line in The Last Jedi novelization about when they're in the elevator um, mm-hmm. where Ray looked up and saw Kylo's churning emotions for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just – what I mean is I feel like they just yeah. haven't discussed it. Yeah. Like they really yeah. never discussed any – like there's just – there hasn't been that conversation about no. like – what are we, you know? And I think that that... We are. Define the relationship. <laughs> I was going to say that, but I just didn't. And I feel like that that's just really kind of where they can go from here because in a way, I feel like that cannot be concealed, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think all of that will... 
I mean, I think all of that will come out in the world between worlds place. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or or that like proclamation of actual – like if it is actual romantic love, that proclamation will come somewhere at the end where, you know, that quote you read about Anakin kind of applying to Kylo and that kind of similar situation, obviously not – exactly that way but something similar kind of like i mean people talk a lot about the comparison of raylo to like beauty and the beast and Mm -hmm. how it all kind of comes out at the end as far as like that's concerned but they've built this relationship through the film Mm -hmm. anyway i think yeah a lot of a lot of those kind of details i think are fun to speculate on Mm -hmm. okay well is there anything else we've missed about concealment i mean i feel like we could talk about this forever but i mean i think we got to wrap it up that's why i started i think i'm good yeah exactly (laughs) i think we'll continue to return to this theme i think this is one of those things that we now that we've like kind of zeroed in on it when i think it was really good that you mentioned in resistance like the the fact that like there's so many secrets everywhere that was the detriment to like a couple of friendships you know and i feel like that will come up in future projects you know Really looking forward to Resistance Season 2. <laughs> Same. So much. <laughs> Coming back soon. <laughs> yeah. Or even, like, I'm sure the theme of concealment will come up in The Mandalorian, perhaps more so than any other Star Wars mm. property, given Very the fact true. that I don't have – I don't really think we're going to see The Mandalorian's face until the very end of the se- season. And in the very act that he is – so concealed in his identity in his job or from what we've seen from at celebration i feel like that this will be a major theme like a huge theme that we'll be returning to when we discuss the show Mm, yeah no you're right i'm excited for that me too even just like now i'm thinking about just future properties and then like even (laughs) even in clone wars like this year this next season it will be ultimate Anakin trying to conceal his feelings and Ahsoka dealing with her not having to conceal any feelings and like what that will even look like like I think there'll be this weird duality there Hmm. what's funny is I was thinking about I was like I wonder if Anakin's going to be like, where's Ahsoka's bust for the last 20 years? <laughs> and the last Jedi are like, well, we can't talk about it. And they're concealing what happened with Ahsoka. That too. You never by know. By not giving her a bust. Yeah. I don't know. And Mace will be like, the last 21 just doesn't really roll off the top. And Anakin's like, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have to wait for one more Jedi to leave so it can be the last 22. Or- I mean, I, I just want to, like, play a little devil's advocate with that. Just, like, maybe Anakin won't fully accept that Ahsoka could be considered one of the lost. Mm, yeah. And ever really push for that and want that sort of recognition at all. Because I don't think that from what we've seen also is Ahsoka plays a considerable role in continuing and ending the Siege of, the siege of Mandalore, right? And I feel like in this case, perhaps... He just doesn't want to accept that. I don't know. Yeah, depending on his feelings, because depending on his feelings about the Jedi's role in it, mm-hmm. and if we see that kind of manifest in any of his relationships, like with Mace and Yoda or other members of the council, because in the end of that moment, he was like, 
you know, they're asking you back. I'm asking you back. Like he was very like with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But once she makes the decision not to, and especially from their conversation at, you know, when she does finally leave, I wonder how that will impact it. Like he's he's either going to try and like dig himself, be like 100% pro Jedi or we're going to start seeing more of those cracks. And I think we're going to see more of those cracks and Ahsoka is going to be like um, a sticking point for him. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's necessary that that happens. Yeah. Even just, again, the theme of concealment, if we haven't seen Padme in any of the promo material or even discussion of any sort of arc that include Pad- that includes Padme, and but we know Kat Tabor is in it, so like where does it even you know, fall into place. And I just think it's really interesting because at this point in the timeline, Padme could be finding out that she is pregnant. So in that way, what begins this journey of like total concealment for her? Will we see that? It's kind of my dream to see that. But I I do think that, again, the point of me bringing all this up is I think that we'll be returning to the theme of concealment often because mm-hmm. it is so like important within all these stories. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. I think I hope we get to see that because I think that'll be a really big I think in a way that could be like a very emotionally dark place for Padme having mm-hmm. to deal with something that should be so joyful but in such a time of turmoil and you know Anakin's not there mm-hmm. and there are very few people she can confide in. So mm-hmm. I think that will be really interesting to see play out. I'm also excited for them to do like the behind the scenes feature where they talk about like redoing they have having to like completely redo Padme's model because she's pregnant yeah (laughs) and and how she finally gets like new clothes because she's pregnant (laughs) they like took it to the maternity section of animation (laughs) won't get that much new clothes because we do have the ones of her like we have the the brown outfit already I don't know I I I don't have high hopes for new clothes but it's good that you hear wishful thinking there Okay, well, with that wishful thinking of Padme in the maternity ward of animation, <laughs> I think we're going to end this episode. I really didn't expect this to end the episode on that note, but there we are. Um, <laughs> thank you guys, as always, for listening. Um, we have a really exciting episode coming up next so look forward to that i think you guys are really going to like it um but if you like what you hear you can find us pretty much anywhere on the internet we're most active on twitter um our podcast twitter is at sky Tarkus pod or our personal twitter handles are at caitlin plusher and at crudy we're also on skytalkers.com as well as instagram and facebook we do have a patreon where we have things like our discussion of the last 20 or of Dooku Jedi Lost, where I have a lot of time talking about the Lost 20. Um, we also have a Discord where there's always fun conversations going on. Um, so if you're interested, you can check out all of those things. Yes. And I just want to thank our amazing patrons. Jason, Joey, James, Kathy, Gee, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Amy, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, Matthew, Devin, Jamin, Jedi, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Unspeakable, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, Katie, Ira Bell, Kimberly, Gina, Ewan, Donnie, Vundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Sintara, Thomas, John, Dominic, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, 
Kate, Brooklyn, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpararoo, Patrick, James, Hamsa, From a Certain Point of View, Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kells, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Allie, Nat- Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabres Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. Your support truly means the world. I feel like we've had a new, a couple of new additions. I know, Patreon. right? So thank you guys so much. Um, it always uh, is really encouraging um, when we get new patrons and really uh, – I'm always like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, Yay! <laughs> yeah, I know. So thank you guys so much. Um, it really does mean a lot to us that you guys enjoy what we do here on Sky Talkers. So thank you. Um, and uh, if you also want to support us in other ways, you can leave us a review on iTunes. That helps other people find our show too and join in the discussion about what exactly Padme did when she went maternity clothes shopping. <laughs> it's important. Um, so she did too <laughs> to do it. <laughs> But uh, uh, I think that reminds me. Someone asked us a, a question one time. I think for our anniversary episode about uh, who we would take shopping with us. Like, it was Katie. I mean, yeah, it was Kate. It was, it was Kate. Kate. Yeah, it was Kate. And I think I took C three PO just so I could make him carry all the bags. But I also took Hux too because he would just be brutally honest about <laughs> what looked good on you or not. So what a balance. Right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, weird way to end the show. But uh, thank you guys as always. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.